0: Want a better way to hire? We asked businesses across Australia.
1: We trialled Liam through Youth Jobs Path and then hired him as a design assistant. Liam is so keen to learn. He gets along with everyone and we get help with wage and training costs.
0: Louise gave me a go and now I've got a job. Yeah, it worked for us. To find motivated young staff and get up to $10,000 in assistance, search Youth Jobs Path. Authorised by the Australian Government Canberra, spoken by Jay Green, L Nobes and L Nicolaou. Welcome to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm your host David Scott filling in for Paul Colgan, who, if my calculations are correct, is looking uh, jet lagged and dishevelled somewhere in a European airport about now. So, Colgos, you can no doubt will be listening to this. Hello. Um, in Colgos' absence today, we have a special treat in store for our listeners: two guests. Uh, the first of those uh, needs no introduction. It's uh, James Whelan, uh, investment manager of VFS Group. He was actually on our first ever podcast. Uh, welcome back to the show, James.
2: It's great to be here, David. Always a pleasure and an honor. Thanks, mate.
0: An honor. I like that. Uh, and joining James and making his first appearance on the uh, Business Insider podcast, we're very lucky to have Richard Grace, Chief Currency and Interest Rate Strategist and Head of Economic, uh, International Economics at the Commonwealth Bank, a man who will no doubt be insightful given the uh, week we're seen across financial markets. Welcome to the program, Richard. Thanks, David. Also an honor. Fantastic. Two honors. I feel honored myself. Uh, look, it's going to be a busy podcast this week. There's a lot to discuss considering we didn't have many uh, economic data releases of note that came out. Uh, we're going to run through uh, the US election debate and, uh, and, and potentially what the outcome of that election is going to mean to the global economy and markets. Uh, the decision this morning from OPEC to go and cut crude production, uh, which came as a shock to, I think, uh, the vast majority of people in financial markets. Aside from that, we'll look at the, uh, the rally in bulk commodity prices, particularly uh, coke and coal, which has gone bananas over the past three months. Uh, And if we have time, we'll be looking at uh, the potential impact of Amazon and Australian retailers, Uh, weakness in Australian household spending, which is slightly strange uh, given we've seen some uh, very solid data in relation to household finances recently, and we'll also be touching on the new RBA Governor, Philip Lowe, and of course, following that, we'll have the predictions for the AFL and Rugby League Grand Finals, which I'm sure will be interesting. So a busy show, let's get into it. Now, uh, the first thing uh, that markets were focused on this week was uh, clearly what was going on in the US uh, election, the uh, presidential debate, the first one between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump uh, occurred. Uh, I think the market reaction said it all. The markets were clearly of the view that Hillary Clinton won. There was a relief rally, a lot of uh, risk assets, particularly stocks, uh, had a very, very good session. I might just get to start with you, Richard, Uh, just your views of the debate. Did we learn anything new from that at all uh, in terms of the two candidates and whether there's going to be... one, one winner or the
1: other? Uh, well, I, I guess it, it showed just how much of a loose cannon uh, Donald Trump is. Uh, he's, he's, what he said in the debate was very contradictory. Um, on, a, on one hand, he said that uh, uh, we need more infrastructure spending in the US economy, uh, but we're a large debtor nation. Um, we can't really afford it. And then he, he commented that uh, it was smart that he wasn't paying taxes. You know, the, the other contradiction that he made was that um, we, we shouldn't be spending too much on foreign policy Yet moments later he was talking about we we need to go in and clean up ISIS. So uh, a few contradictions and it it is really, um, I think, the market's assessment that
0: there's a lot of unknowns with Trump. I concur completely. Uh, James, you're uh, one for the political uh, side of things. You uh, often have uh, interesting things to go and remark about both Australian politics, and I'm sure that's no different for the US. Uh, take me through your views of what you saw during the debates, and uh, and potentially what you saw in the market reaction afterwards.
2: Well, it was it was fortunate, uh, thank you, David, uh, that there wasn't really a lot of releases this week because it meant that we could completely clear the schedules. 11 o'clock, um, you know, I, I went and just locked myself in a room, notepad. And Twitter, obviously, without that, um, you can't watch. You can't watch a debate without Twitter on there too, because everyone's got a real good, healthy opinion on that uh, on that thing. The uh, we, we shut ourselves in and just took notes and just looked at it from the from the view uh, of a regular guy looking at a thing, not a, not an educator, not an elite, not someone who's trying to pick markets, not trying to do anything. Trump seemed to actually win um, for about the first half hour or so, which a lot of people would have switched off after then. That's probably what the, what a lot of Americans would have taken away. Um, I'm not saying that he did win the debate. I think he did sort of dance around in some circles. There was one interaction which I actually quite liked, which, which believe it or not, it sounds strange, and it sounds sort of counterintuitive, but it does actually resonate with a lot of regular Americans. And that was this interaction. She said, "Release your tax, um, your tax statements, your tax, uh, you know, your, your, your tax file. Release your taxes, right?" And 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 he came back and he said, "They're not going to be released. They're not going to be released." You've squandered, and then he went on to say, you've, you've spent eight years mucking around, you've, 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 you've mucked around here, you've wasted our money, you've wasted our funds, you've wasted our time, all of those things, and, and this country has gone backwards despite all the, all, all the money that's there. Um, we've gone backwards. It's a third world country. You go to airports, it's a third world country. And she responded, maybe if you paid your taxes, um, we wouldn't be in this situation. His response was, you just would have squandered that too. And that was, and that was an interaction that, whilst it seemed like an admission of guilt that he hadn't, it's actually... Something that resonates very well with regular working class people in that in that yeah I, I I pay my taxes I I work hard and what do I actually see in return for it now that's that's an interaction she doesn't have a response to that apart from well you've just incriminated yourself but people don't people haven't really cared about that so far with Donald Trump anyway and and that's how it is so very much uh, very much a good debate and very much a good a good uh, a good way to spend a. A lunchtime on Tuesday um, that was there and uh, I, I don't think it was as bad as people are making it out to be. I think the fact that he was there, he managed to survive it without dropping any swear words. I think a lot of people were sort of waiting for him to, 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 to say something completely disastrous. He managed to get through it without actually saying that. Um, a little bit of a devil's advocate. I think she, she, she thoroughly proved that she is ready for the job, that she is ready to be the president if she wanted to be and he just proved that, that he might just be a ride-along for this one although he will probably received quite a few votes um, and I'm definitely not discounting anything in the year of Brexit, Iceland and, and Leicester City, uh, definitely not discounting anything from uh, from happening. I think that that he'll be in the running, I think he'll be in the race and I think that he's sending a clear message and, and that America will send a clear message that, look, had you put up a better candidate and had she not been such an obvious choice, that uh, it, it may just be a bit closer than that.
0: Yeah, so just uh I don't think we learned too much about the two candidates that we didn't already know. It was uh, pretty much spot on and uh, and it was confirmed by what was uh, said during the uh the debate. You know, it's uh it's interesting, you know, everyone goes back to like, well Hillary won the debate, you know, she's got a commanding lead in the polls, you know, Goldman Sachs had some research out during the week that said no uh, no candidate uh, who's been leading the polls at this time in the election race has ever lost. Um, yeah, but I, and then I look at you uh, know what happened with Brexit. And then I certainly look at uh, what happened with Mitt Romney back in the 2012 election, and certainly uh, there was uh, he won the debates convincingly over Obama, and then he's not president. So it's uh, it's very interesting to see how this is going to play out. You know, one's not going to go, and uh, one result's not going to go and win the race. And certainly we've got two more to go through, and uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens in, uh, when they come up in the next couple of months. Um, which brings us on to what's going to happen actually when that election result is known. Uh, it's the great uncertainty in the, uh, the markets at the moment with the, uh, the Fed, the BOJ, the ECB seemingly on the sidelines now for a, a prolonged period. Uh, the big question everyone's asking about is what's going on with uh, the election? What will it mean to markets? What will it mean to the economy? Now, Richard, your uh, CBA has been doing a, a whole lot of uh, research, and excellent research, I should add, uh, in relation to what potentially may eventuate, uh, particularly should a Trump uh, victory uh, ensue for the election. I just wonder if you are going to talk me through some of the, the main points as to what you expect from an economic impact and also what you expect from the financial markets.
1: Sure. Um, look, Trump's, we've, we've taken uh, Trump's policies, his economic policies, as stated on his website. He's said a lot of things and retracted them, so we've, we've ignored that. We've focused on what's left on his website as his economic policies. Mm-hmm. And run through a quick quick list of them. They are to radically uh, reduce income taxes, to dramatically reduce business taxes from the current variable rate of uh, 15 to 35% all the way down to a flat rate of 15%. So it's quite a, a, a large cut in business taxes. He said he wants to boost infrastructure spending. He wants to... Um, review all the regulations that inhibit job hiring, he wants to lift a lot of the re- restrictions that inhibit energy investment, and his green credentials are, are non-existent really. Um, and he also wants to label China as a currency manipulator, as well as renegotiate NAFTA. There's some of the, the main points. When you look through those points, they're very, very inflationary. Um, to dramatically cut income taxes, you're talking about a, a massive lift in Household consumption in the US. Household consumption makes up 70% of US GDP. You're al- already going to get a, a big lift in, uh, in demand and, and um, spending as a result of that. You start to boost infrastructure spending, and we've agreed that the US economy desperately needs it. That's more of a long, long um, productive measure, but it, it has its initial inflationary impacts. Um, you're also going to cut business taxes, and that's going to do a number of things. Initially, it's also going to Uh, Increased business spending. All those things by themselves are going to put upward pressure on inflation and upward pressure on US interest rates, particularly long bond yields. Uh, We, however, are probably going to see the Fed start to lift interest rates a lot more aggressively uh, should these policies become enacted. But the the cut in income in the business tax I think is particularly interesting because I think it will do two things. Uh, First thing is that it will radically increase the net profit after-tax valuations on the US equity market. So I expect to see day one US equity market surge in anticipation of this effect occurring. Okay. Unless, of course, the uncertainty dominates and they go, oh gee, we don't know what to expect now because he is such a loose cannon and we see equity markets drop. I suspect that would be temporary. Yes. Because if he can get his policies through Congress, and that's another another thing to talk about. Um, It's very positive for the equity market. So what I think will happen is we will get a lot of offshore money flowing into the US economy, which will in turn put additional upward pressure on the US dollar along with the higher interest rates, which are already encouraging capital into the US because of the inflationary policies. And the second thing as a result of the uh, cut in the company tax rate is that a lot of companies, US companies located offshore, will bring money back into the US. Now, an example of this was in uh, 2004 when they introduced a tax holiday on U.S. companies bringing money back into the U.S., offshore profits into the U.S., and it generated a large appreciation of the U.S. dollar. Um, You combine that with the equity market inflow chasing returns, and we saw an example of that during the dot-com boom, how much it pushed up the U.S. dollar. Those two things are are, are radically going to lift the the, the U.S. dollar.
0: Okay. Okay. So, in, so the US dollar, you say, is going to rally, and I, I completely agree. I think it, uh, there's a lot of analysis out there too that Hillary Clinton will also be uh, somewhat inflationary for the US economy, and that will also go and help the US dollar. What would the impact be, say, on the Australian economy, in your view, uh, in, uh, particularly in the Australian dollar as well? Is is there a view that uh, the CBA has? Yes. Well, we, we think the,
1: the combination of these things would lift the US dollar by some 10%. 10%? Uh, we, Yes. Uh, The the other thing to keep in mind and the reason why we come up with 10% is because offshore profits are now a much larger share of the US economy. They're now 3.8% of US GDP. Back in the year 2000, 2004, they were only 1.8% of GDP. So it's a massive extra amount of volume of money can go back into the US economy of what is already a much larger economy than what it was back in 2004 anyway. But the impact on the Australian dollar comes from two sources. One is, as the US dollar lifts, the Aussie dollar goes down. That's pretty clear. However, if Trump labels China as a currency manipulator, like he said he would do, our estimates are this would knock one percentage point off Chinese GDP growth. So we anticipate China's economy would slow from 6.7% down to around 5.7%. China we would think would retaliate, Um, but before we get into that, The slowing in China's economy um, would, of course, slow Asia's economy, and it would impact the Australian dollar because 76% of Australia's exports go directly to Asia. So we would see the Australian dollar come under downward pressure for for two reasons. About 90% of the downward pressure would be simply US dollar strength, and the other 10% would be because China's economy slows.
0: Okay, so that paints a fairly... Cautious, and, uh, and I could say you know, I think a lot of investors that would be nervous uh, in Australia about that particular outcome. James, uh, you deal with, uh, with your client's day to day and I'm sure that uh, with the focus on the US election, uh, there's some questions that they have and you know, any changing position that they may be like doing beforehand. What have you been seeing in, in wake of the... Uh, not only the debate this week, but just uh, you know, the lead-up to the debate and, and heading towards the election? As
2: always, uh, the, the, the key question is going to be, is this a cause for panic? Is this a cause for, for serious concern? I... Now we we keep on relaying this back to Brexit and probably we should. I'm okay with doing that because this could be another Brexit moment this year. A lot of people leading up to Brexit and I was pretty vocal about it. And, and I would say if Brexit happens, then that's the beginning of the end. I was a bit of a skies falling guy and you know I didn't. I honestly did not take into consideration the fact that it may be the trigger for one of the, the best rallies in pretty much all asset classes across the board. Um, sort of missed that one. But the what are you, you going to do? Chalk that up to experience. The um, you know, next time there's a Brexit, I'll make sure I'm a part of it. So the the it, it, this this I'm trying to calm people down into saying that, in fact, Donald Trump is probably less of a nuisance as president than he is right now as a candidate. He's he, he's he's in cotton wool. He'll be protected as president. He's got a Congress that 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 may be friendly, but will definitely be sensible because it's filled with very sensible people. Like Paul Ryan, He's a very sensible. Uh, person, regardless of your of your policies, is is, is a well thought out, educated person, uh, and 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 there's a whole system that is set up to protect the world from people like him becoming dictators for life, uh, and and so okay he's the president great he'll he'll fly around he'll do his thing he'll probably change he'll probably put trump on the on, on the back of the air Force one and you know and 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 do all of these amazing grand things and go overseas and, and you know kick dirt and be friends and be popular and, and and just try and do those sorts of things and meanwhile Paul ryan can go can go ahead as speaker and and do his thing and the Congress can can go and do that and the joint chiefs can 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 run things quietly in the background and everything's sort of going to keep on ticking on. I don't think it's a jump out the window sort of situation. I think it's... Um, now, the, physically, if policies do get through and currencies do change, then that's an entirely different situation that's there. A 10% rally in the US versus the Aussie dollar would probably not be such a bad thing. We need that to happen anyway, annoyingly bringing it back to today and everything that's happened. We've got a commodities-based currency and it's, it's had a rally and that's really annoying, especially with the new RBA... Uh, Chief coming in, and he's got to start making some decisions that that are going to try and put a lid on this on on this Aussie dollar rally. So, you know what? If the worst thing that happens out of out of this is the US dollar appreciates versus the Aussie, versus the Aussie, that's great. Um, so yeah, not not necessarily a massive cause for concern on this one. And as I said, and and if he doesn't become the president, that's fantastic. He'll go away and keep on doing the things that he's doing. And then Hillary, who seems quite competent to to be able to run the gig, um, you know, we'll, we'll make sure that we're all safe in our beds at night.
0: Richard, I was going to ask, uh, in your position, you're obviously going to deal with a lot of corporates uh, and institutions as well, uh, so much larger scale than the, uh, the, the people that James is dealing with in his day-to-day. Is there any concerns that they've been uh, expressing to yourself or any questions in relation to you know, any fears or, or optimism as to what might actually eventuate from, uh, from a Trump or Hillary victory?
1: Uh, not really, not yet. I think we're just at the beginning of, of that trend where people may start to take it really seriously. But uh, we've still
0: got a number of weeks left before the actual election outcome, so I expect to see the, the interest grow. No doubt. I can uh, only imagine that the uh, the interest is going to become even more intensified as the, uh, as the weeks progress. Um that's the U.S. election. We're, uh, we're going to go move on now to the other big news of the week, which is OPEC. Uh, out of the blue, seemingly, and a big surprise to myself and a, a lot of other uh, analysts out there and, and journalists, uh, they've reached a tentative agreement to, uh, to go and reduce output by 750,000 barrels of oil per day, uh, aimed to go and get to about 32 and a half to $33 million a day. Uh, this has only just happened today. There's already question marks over whether this will stick. Uh, I hear Iraq's already got some question marks over you know, the way that uh, production levels are calculated and the like. I might just go and uh, get your opinion, James, as to whether you think the uh, the oil uh, oil agreements to reached today will have any uh, meaningful impact. Will it stick? and in terms of uh, any impact that you might see from other oil producers such as the US?
2: All right, good healthy question there, David. Thanks. Lots of wiggle room, lots of opening. It's, uh, you are absolutely just tonight here too. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're plenty of minutes in and you are absolutely killing it as host as well. So Colgo, if you're listening, uh, yeah, you, 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 could, uh, you could be rattled here for the, for the leadership role. The, uh, da- uh, moving on, oil, fantastic rally overnight. It's, it's done its thing. Now, uh, Greg McKenna, he said, uh, "What is it that he said? Is that, is that oil needs to be above fifty dollars? Above fifty dollars, uh, WTI, for, to, to give the world brackets, uh, back its inflationary pulse, Which is, I'm not going to disagree with Greg McKenna uh, ever. In fact, unless we're talking about football. The, uh, so, so, and that is true. So this is the way that this this record plays. Okay, oil comes down. The oil producing OPEC cartel, which is." gets together and say we're, we're potentially going to freeze production oil then goes up. The reason why they flooded the world with, with, uh, with oil before was to try and squeeze out the. US shale producers who were coming in and, and, and stealing some of their, stealing some of their turf. Uh, so they've done this production cut potentially if it actually sticks, they'll do this, it goes up. Oil then gets up to a price that makes it viable for the shale producers to to switch back on production. The ones that, that, that weren't viable, they switch back on. Oil then has a cap on the top. It's this automatic call and put option that you have on both sides of the oil price that will just keep it bouncing between the two. The shale producers come in, they'll do whatever's viable for there. Oil then comes back down. We 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 keep on spinning around in this circle. That's that's the way that people are seeing this as happening. However, for now, it actually has to go through this process of supply versus demand. They've got a cap on production. If it sticks, as again I'll say, um, let oil go up, let the show, let the let the tape play to the end, and then go to the beginning and start it all over again. Thoughts? My thoughts
0: are uh, pretty much what if I've been reading. Uh, I was going to say uh, Richard uh, Vivek, uh, who I must say from Commonwealth Bank, uh, commodity analyst. He must be the most busy commodity analyst. The, uh, the amount of output that he goes and produces each day is amazing. Uh, and he came up with an excellent note straight off the bat today in, in wake of the decision, talking about uh, you know, the potential impact of US shale producers uh, are already showing signs that they're being much more efficient with the way they produce. There are obviously signs that many more of them are starting to become profitable at these levels. Uh, just uh, and you have also seen the signs of the uh, the oil rig count in the U.S. starting to go and pick up as well. So there's signs that there was already a, a lift in uh, in U.S. production underway. Uh, Richard, is there? A, I know it's probably way too early for CBA to have a view in relation to you know what this potentially may go and do to the uh, the crude price. But uh, you know, what are your general feelings about whether it'll have uh, an impact, a lasting impact on prices, or will uh, it be more of the same? The range trading we've seen uh, throughout most this year.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's we're going to see the range trading. We we anticipate the oil will be sort of uh, up around the 50, 55 dollars a barrel average uh, going through to the rest of the year. Uh, but the, the, the supply response is, is very, very quick, as, as we've just heard, and uh, the US are particularly strong at switching it on and off, and they can bring it from many sources. Um, if the exchange rate moves in their favour, they'll start importing it from Canada. If the exchange rate doesn't move in their favour, they just l- turn on local production. So uh, the, the supply response uh, will, will determine what happens. Um, but I, I think that uh, it, it's more of these uh, games that we've, we've witnessed and that's where our our outcome is at sort of that $50, $55 a barrel.
0: Yes, understood. Look, like, you know, it's, it's, only, it's understandable why so many people are concerned that uh, you know, with already signs that US production is starting to go and lift, that heading towards this, uh, this OPEC meeting you know, scheduled for November 30, there's already signs beforehand that you're starting to get an uplift in, uh, in US production presuming that these price levels that we're seeing at the moment are held or going lift a little bit higher. You can understand why it might go and add pressure to go and balk at what they've agreed to this morning. Uh, And, of course, if that happens, then uh, the prices are unlikely to be higher than what they currently are. Moving on to the next uh, topic, we're going to continue on the commodity theme. We're going to talk a bit about bulk commodity prices, uh, in particular the ones that uh, are very important to Australia. Uh, We're talking about uh, iron ore, coking coal and uh, and thermal coal prices, which have been an absolute tear so far this year, particularly in the last three months. So, uh, I implore anyone out there who's listening—you know—you haven't had a look at the uh, the hard coking coal chart from uh, from the east coast of Australia. You should go and Google that and have a look at the uh, the price. Uh, it's just gone shot up like an arrow. Uh, and at the moment, uh, there's signs that it may be starting to go and top out. But it's been an amazing ride. There's been a number of different factors that have gone and contributed to the uh, to the rise. Uh, obviously, the most obvious one is, uh, is what's happened with the Chinese uh, infrastructure boom that the uh, Chinese authorities initiated earlier this year to go and buttress economic growth. Uh, there's also been a few supply disruptions both uh, within China and also uh, externally in the seaborne markets. We've seen that now. We, we know that's what's led to this, uh, this uh, price surge along with uh, what we're seeing with, uh, with Chinese production curbs, particularly in the coal market. The question that I think everyone wants to know now, particularly from investors' perspective and the Australian miners, is how long do we think that this surge in prices can last? Uh, James, I might start with you if I could. Uh, Obviously, there's been a bit of optimism about the uh, the miners in general recently. Uh, I noticed a note uh, that was released last week from a quarry called commodity markets are in a a mini-renaissance. Sounds uh, very artistic and, uh, and the like. I was just wondering whether uh, you, know, you had a view on, on what you think may happen with the, uh, with the commodity prices at the moment uh, and also implications for investment decisions.
2: All right. So broadly across the line, uh, I remember when I was here a couple of months ago and I was quoting Jodie uh, Jody Gun- uh, Ginsberg from... She's the head of commodities at S&P. Mm-hmm. Um, very intelligent. Not going to argue with her either. Uh, she mentioned at the time that... Money they'd seen noticeable money switching from the safety of the of commodity producers bond markets into corporate bonds, the safety, relative safety from the bond markets, into actually buying the equities in those stocks, um, and the S and P saw that as connecting to every single commodity's bottom that, that 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 they'd had in their history. Remember that was that was fantastic. That actually was she was right. That was the bottom. And that's that's going to keep on going. General commentary is that we are in a renaissance. We are in a commodities uptick. We've got um, potentially another three or four or five percent, uh, five months, sorry, to go. Don't worry about percentages, but uh, it's probably going to be much more than that if it goes. BHP, Rio having tremendous upticks. Beautiful big diversified miners um, and and low cost producers as well uh, that that are that are really getting a good a good bit under them. I do agree that I think that we are in a You know, not a, not a pre-GFC super cycle that we saw before, but I think that we've seen the bottom and I think that, that, that we are still haven't seen the top and I think that we've got more upside to go.
0: There we go. Bullish miners is uh, James Whelan. CBA
2: has also done some
0: research in relation to what's been going on the bulks market as well. uh, Again, my mate uh, Vivek Dar has uh, has produced another epic note. Uh, I've seen that you've uh, upgraded your price forecast, Richard, based on the assumption that uh, what we're seeing with this infrastructure-led boom in China will maintain for a little bit longer yet. Yeah, I mean, an analysis is that uh,
1: we're seeing a, a combination of the temporary and structural factors lifting the bulk commodity prices. I mean, we've seen local uh, Chinese producers shut down coal mines at a rapid rate. The shutdown rate's around 50% of local production. In iron ore, it's around 30%. So the Chinese are importing uh, as they're shutting down in response to the stimulus measures that they've introduced. So this is why demand or prices are going up. Um, there's also a few momentum players, um, of course, on board, which are pushing, pushing the prices up, as you uh, illustrated, David. Um, we, we, so what will happen? We think that um, given that profits for the big iron ore players are now very, very large, we're, we're talking about up to 100% profit margins at the moment, we think uh, we will see a supply response and we'll see an increase in supply simply because profit margins are so great. That would, we anticipate, would eventually narrow the profit margins as increased supply comes on, um, as commodity prices decline in response to increased supply. Uh, so by early 2017, we expect to see this rally in commodity prices start to subside a little bit. And then by the end of 2017, we're sort of, um, it, it's declined quite a, quite a, a large amount. But we're still higher on a net commodity price mark than we w- when we anticipated that we were going to be uh, three three months ago. Okay. S- so it's a bit of a roller coaster ride. Up now and it starts to gently decline, but we finish at two thousand seventy at a higher level than we otherwise thought.
0: Okay. So where that's you said that uh, a supply response, do you expect that to come from seaborne markets and also China or just one or the other?
1: Mainly seaborne markets. Um because I think the, there's still some environmental concerns in China where they're not really willing to switch on coal-producing uh, coal, m- coal producing, uh, factories and so forth very quickly. Um, and there's, there's a structural change in, hang on, we're not going to be able to compete against this, the international marketplace here. Uh, the Australians, for instance, are very, very um, efficient, at these sorts of things, let's stick to our competitive advantage, which is it may be producing whatever goods it is, but perhaps we're not as efficient as the Australians in producing iron ore and coal. So I think there's a structural change in shutting down some of the coal, coal uh, industries in, in in China. It's not just a
0: cyclical one, it's a structural one. Okay, so it sounds like it's good news for the Aussie miners and also probably uh, Federal Treasurer Scott Morrison, who we had on the program last week, uh, should be a good thing. James, uh, you have something to add there?
2: Uh, don't forget the Queensland government as well. I'm just looking at the the, the, the back end of a report here uh, that said that they'd been their forecasts for coke and coal prices were $88, and for thermal coal prices of about 60. That's all US dollars. Currently, where where are we for coke and coal at the moment? Uh, about so about 200. Two so yeah. About okay. Two so 20, so I think that they might have a good buffer in their uh, in their in their books there. So Scott, happy. Um, I can't remember who the Queensland. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so so a good, healthy bolster to, to some books there as well. Fantastic.
0: You're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. You can find us on iTunes or on Twitter at b i a u s. Now we've been talking a lot about uh, you know offshore factors here, commodity markets, the U.S. election. I think it's time to go and bring it back down to uh, what's happening in the Australian economy. Now, uh, earlier this week, uh, ANZ produces a weekly uh, confidence report, consumer confidence index uh, in conjunction with uh, Roy Morgan. Uh, that had current consumer finances at the highest level seen since before the GFC. Uh, And then following on from that today, we just saw some uh, figures come out from the ABS uh, telling us that Australian household wealth was the highest level on record, just shy of $9 trillion as of the end of uh, the June quarter. Big, big bickies. Whilst we seem to be optimistic about our financial position at the moment, uh, and certainly from a wealth perspective, it seems that we have a lot of, uh, a lot of buffer in, uh, in terms of what our difference between assets and liabilities are, there's been no real translation into a boost in consumption levels or retail sales. Uh, we saw in the latest GDP figure that, uh, that household consumption expenditure, which is about 60% of the Australian uh, economy, is that right, uh, Richard? about 60%, uh, only grew 0.4% Q on Q uh, and that's, uh, that's in line with a lot of uh, you know, weak retail sales figures that we've seen recently. Um, also got the savings ratio, which is, uh, whilst it's, it's fallen a little bit since the, uh, the, the peak in the post-GFC era, it's still very elevated. Um, I was just going to go and quickly ask you both now, what's your view as to what's holding consumption levels back? Why are people who have optimistic uh, feelings about their finances have got the greatest wealth that they've ever seen in Australia's history. Why aren't they spending at the stores? Uh, Richard, I might start with you.
1: Sure. Look, I think there's a a number of reasons. Uh, Firstly, I think there's widespread job security fears. Uh, Workers can see uh, firms cutting costs um, while the unemployment rate is coming down. A lot of the job market has been fuelled or total employment growth has been fuelled by part-time work. So I think the the job insecurity fears are, are are one factor. Another factor is low inflation expectations. So the combination of those two things mean workers are not scrambling to get large wage increases and therefore going to the shops and spending. Uh, Third factor is um, a lot of households are focused on repaying their household debt. Household debt ratios are still very, very large. It's also difficult to get a big uptick in growth when when debt levels are large. Uh, another factor I'd point to is a structural factor, and that is a slight ageing of the population. And so um, a lot of participants focused on, on the savings, and, and unless we get, as you said, David, a, a decline in the household savings ratio, um, we're not, in other words, people going into possibly into more debt, then we're not going to um, uh, see a, a large pickup. But put it in perspective, uh, household consumption is still growing just above its GFC average, only if slightly. Um, it's not like we're the, that sector is heading for a recession, um, but there is a lot of changes in that particular sector, and, uh, including ch- challenges from the retail space, challenges from overseas players. And so I think the combination of these factors is, is why we're not seeing um, extraordinary growth in household consumption despite very low interest rates and a, and a re- very low un- or relatively low unemployment rate.
0: Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I often borrow from my personal experiences. Uh, in between my time from when I started here at BI and when I was in the financial markets, I had quite a lengthy period of time off work, and I saw how quickly your uh, your savings can be eroded away. Uh, and the one thing that I've definitely done since I've started uh, back here is that uh, it's that it's to go and and put money away, be invested, and to save. And I'm certainly doing that a lot more than what I did in the past. And I'm just wondering whether I'm just obviously one person, but uh, whether that's being seen more broadly across the populace. I think James has got a strong opinion
2: on this. Thing. I owe the Commonwealth Bank seven figures for my house, okay, and a lot of people had to get into so much debt. Richard's looking at me, I think he might be here to shake me down actually, because I, I might owe them a the money actually, Just send the goons around, this guy seriously. People had to go into so much debt um, to get the house, to get into the market they've had to do so. Wow. I'm very confident in this in this economy. I'm confident in the market. I'm confident on a lot of things. I don't want to go and buy a new TV. It's gonna. It's any extra money I get goes into my offset account, or you know I, I'll have a couple of beers with Dave, um, you know where where I can afford it on the side. The uh, that, that that's that's got to be it. The other thing that you mentioned too, which is something that's very close to my heart, Richard, is is with regards to the ageing population. Older people don't buy. The things that you need people to buy to be able to stimulate an economy. Japan is, has been feeling this for years. Okay, There's no the, the, the lack of young people or the lack of a big bulk of young people getting together, hooking up, having kids, getting married and then you're buying a little house and filling it with stuff. It's my stuff theory which is great. You fill your house with stuff, with your couches, your furniture, your TVs, all of those things that you need to fill it with, you've got to buy as stuff. That is what stimulates that, the, the economy. The, those two things combined are, are absolutely... We're, we're one of the most at a personal level. I'm, the, I'm, I'm not going to be able to verify any sources. I'm the Donald Trump of stockbroking sometimes, in which I'll just... I'll quote someone without actually having anything in my hand that's there, but I, I, I do believe we are the most personally indebted country um, on the planet at, at a personal level. I know that I can speak uh, on behalf of that too. You want to... Come? Well,
1: yeah, our household debt levels are amongst the highest.
2: Thank this. you. My, my fact checking, The fact-checking is working out great. I think household uh, debt to uh, to GDP was
0: 123 percent today. I think, based on the calculations I quickly did. Yeah, I'm referring to household debt as a percentage of disposable income. But okay, that, yeah. on a similar measure oh, that no, you no, mentioned, no, yeah, yeah we're,
1: right. we're 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 high on
2: both measures. Pick a ratio. That ratio means that, as confident you are, it's it's going to be really difficult for you actually to reach in your pocket and get the things that you need to get to be able to pick up those retail sales.
0: Excellent. Um, a bit, uh, bit of uh, understanding there of why, uh, why that's the case and uh, trying to go and coerce. I know, you know Scott, uh, Scott Morrison is trying to go and coerce uh, you know, capital out of its cave. You know, maybe some spending out of the household cave will be, uh, will be good too. So now we, know, now we know what to go and look for. Um, keeping on the, uh, the retail theme, uh, James, in your weekly client note this week, he wrote about the impending havoc Amazon will inevitably wreak upon retail markets. Uh, I was just wondering if you could go and talk through your concerns uh, as to what it may do to local retailers and also to their stock prices.
2: All right. Uh, now, going into it, this all sparked from a few weeks ago that uh, I, I love anecdotal. Anecdotal is always the best for me, and I had a, a personal experience with one of our large uh, supermarket retailers, one of the uh, the... The oligopoly that they've got in this in this country that's there, with regards to online ordering, and we've just recently gone into going into online ordering. Our circumstances have changed. My wife's gone, you know, she, she's back into work. I've got to pay the mortgage back to you, Richard. It's great. The, um, and, uh, and and so she's <laughs> um, uh, so she's done that. So we've decided to start online ordering as opposed to our usual weekly shop. This company starts with a W has got it wrong three weeks straight uh, with regards to online ordering. And uh, how is it possible to, to be able to Get something so that theoretically should be so simple. Um, instead of you walk into the shop and picking up the things that you want, you order them online. We put them in a box for you. We put them in a truck and we get them to. You. That's not a super difficult situation to be in. How have they managed to bat zero out of three? Is beyond me on these things. I understand that sometimes problems happen. To add things into the cart was weird. To to just have things removed from the cart was weird. But I started to look at what Amazon was doing in the space, and I'd heard rumours about what they were doing over in the states that they were doing very, very well in this in this side. And it's hardly people have said, oh, it's 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 going to shake it up, it's going to disrupt the market that's there when Amazon comes here. So Amazon aren't, aren't all about books on you know on shelves or anything like that really anymore. They've got these massive distribution centres that are scattered around the countryside that you place your order. So pick what you want. Now don't worry about fresh food, okay? Just say it's it's for you lean cuisines and uh, recipes and, and and some things like that. Don't worry about fruit and vegetables for now. Tick, 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 all of that's there. What time do you want it ordered? Click, that's fine. It goes away to the distribution centre, all automatically. So no person walking along with a trolley, automatically scans along the shelves, picks out all the things that people have just ordered based on location, geography, puts them all onto a big pallet, packs it and restructures it into the pallet for delivery, for pickup. The only person that then handles it is the guy putting it into the back of the truck, which I believe also may be automated too. So there's a truck driver that takes it to a local, a local distribution centre. It's then automatically, based on scanners and barcodes and things like that, cut up, repackaged, shifted, and then taken straight to your door, which can be done within the hour in some cases. This works, and it is, it is the sort of thing that is going to shake up our retailers in this country that it's not like a massive disruption. It's just someone who can do it right. Now, David, did you want to say something there? You have, so, the, the, I'm going to go into this. So, the, the potential EBIT now this came out of um, Citibank's research estimates, which which seem, uh, you know, they, they seem they seem rather generous, if you ask me. That they see that the potential EBIT impact from Amazon's entry into Australia. Harvey Norman is going to be off 19%, JB Hi-Fi 23%, Myer 18%. These are these are places where we've all, I believe, had experiences in ordering and finding service, on having things online, getting things delivered that Amazon will just do right. So don't worry about food. Don't worry about your lean cuisines and your, and your, and your chicken and things like that. This is, okay, instead of that, I'm going to get the, uh, I need to get a new microphones. I need to get some headphones. I need to get a new phone. I need to get a TV. I need to get things. Packaged, moved, automated, delivered, exactly where you want it, when you want it, exactly how you want it. It is going to disrupt these guys that have had it too good for too long.
0: Do you, do you have an estimate as to when you think that Amazon potentially might move into the market
2: mainstream? 2017 is all I can really tell you on that one, Dave. Excellent.
0: Uh, Richard, you have uh, got something to add?
1: Oh, I would just, uh, in terms of the disruptive technologies mm. and introductions that we're seeing, um, I think James has articulated it well in in the retail space. So I, I, the thing I'd like to add is we're seeing it in other areas such as banking and financial services, the the, the payment system in particular, and it's quite revolutionary. I mean, PayPal. Apple Pay and uh, even Alibaba have their all, all have their own payment system. To give you a si- an idea of the size of Alibaba's payment system, it's now larger than Mastercard. It's 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 remarkable and it's just growing at a, at a rapid rate of knots. Um, in in fintech, we're seeing rapid changes. Um, some of the financial institutions are buying some of the good ones and and adopting them. Others are continuing to challenge the financial institutions, as are those payment systems that I that I mentioned. Uh, but, but it's not all, um, I mean, w- w- it's affecting the labour market. We're seeing some rapid job growth in, in IT. But I think it's just a, a reflection of the, what we're going to see is further structural change in the labour market. The share of labour in services is going to continue to increase and the, the different types of services is going to change as that share of the labour market.
0: And that may explain partly why the, uh, the part-time employment uh, has been far and away growing much more rapidly than you've seen in full-time employment.
1: Yes, yes, I think that's a, a factor in David yes
0: okay, excellent um, very quickly, uh we're about to go and wrap up uh I'm just going to go and ask uh, next week we have rBA uh, meeting and we've got uh, Philip Lowe doing his first uh first uh, go- uh, meeting as governor. Um, I read a very interesting note today from Bill Evans from Westpac in relation to what he expects from uh, from Philip Lowe and what uh what he's mandate of sorts will be in terms of monetary policy, balancing fiscal risks versus, sorry, um, financial risk versus uh, you know, uh, the need to go and ensure that uh, stability in the inflation rate. Uh, just anything, uh, Richard, anything you're expecting out of the ordinary from uh, from next week's meeting? Uh, not really,
1: but it, it will be our first opportunity to see Lowe as the helm and at the head is, is in delivering a monthly monetary policy meeting. I mean, we've heard him talk at uh, in the parliamentary testimony and so forth, but I'm not expecting anything in terms of a, a large change or view on the Australian economy at this particular meeting. I think we need additional economic data for him to make that decision and I think the big litmus test coming forward will be uh, how is the quarterly inflation numbers in late October and then what's his response to that in the November monetary policy meeting.
0: Yes, yeah, so I went and looked at the calendar today. The, uh, the CPI uh, Q3 CPI is only uh, less than a month away. Uh, it's uh, less than four weeks away now. So uh, get prepared, because as we've seen uh, the two times this year after that, we are seeing rate movements, so we'll see whether uh, Dr. Lowe is, uh, is going to go and maintain that trend or whether they're going to go and start his own. Um, that's enough for the uh, financial markets and economic side of things. Uh, very quickly, we're going to talk about the footy this weekend. Uh, obviously, we've got the uh, AFL Grand Final, Swans up versus the Doggies and in, uh, in their rugby league, Storm playing the Sharks in the NRL. Now, I might put a bit of disclaimer on this uh, very quickly, that uh, both James and myself are very, very avid Sydney Swans fans, uh, potentially biased. I might go and say, uh, James, with uh, with the viewers, uh, sorry, the uh, the listeners knowing that. Uh, could I get your viewers to who you think will win the AFL?
2: If the Dogs were playing anyone other than Sydney, I would be right behind them on this one. They're gritty, they have got a lot of heart, they deserve it. It's going to be great to watch. However, they are playing one of the silky smoothest teams with the strongest midfields that I've ever seen, and a defence that that. Even if you put another three players on the field, I think you'd struggle to get uh, to convert an inside fifty, as Geelong found last week as well. Swans will, Swans will get this, uh, and the Swans, the Swans have been known to choke a little bit when it comes to a grand final, as they did a couple of years ago. But I think that a lot of people who were there, uh, particularly. Um, uh, potentially not like Mc- Mc- McVeigh. I think he's running, so he'll be okay. But there's going to be a lot of guys that are looking to make up some lost ground for losing that two years ago. I think the Swans. I think the Swans by. Oh, it's difficult to tell on a grand final, but I'm going I'm to throw it out there and say Swans by four goals.
0: Only four goals. I'm, uh, I'm going a bit higher than that. I think it's... Uh, I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout. As you said, it's a grand final and there's going to be a lot of nerves on show. But uh, anyone who watched the Dogs versus GWS game last week would have seen that uh, that was an absolutely epic game and uh, really took a toll. Uh, shorter time to uh, go and, and get up for this, uh, this game as well for the Doggies. Uh, I'm complete with you as well, James. Uh, with, uh, if it was any other team that uh, the Dogs are playing in the final, I would have been cheering them on as well. But you no, know, I hope we smash them. Um, in, the, uh, in the Rugby League, uh, any, any thoughts
2: there? Oh, Melbourne are a very good, well-equipped team and very good when it comes to winning Grand Finals and even being in Grand Finals too. Bellamy is one of the greatest coaches that we've seen. Um, he can put together any, any group of guys that can tear an opposition apart. Um, he'll dissect them and he'll, and, and he'll cut straight through them. The only hope is potentially if Cronulla can come out with something that he potentially... that They've got to do something different, something that he hasn't planned for, um, and try and beat them in that, in that particular regard or hope that, uh, you know, hope is not a strategy as I often tell some of my clients but uh, uh, hope, that, hope that Melbourne potentially literally drop the ball uh, on more than one occasion that's through there. They're good in the air on the sides. Um, they're great defensively. What's the average? They've only, they've only conceded an average of 12 points a game. Uh, Cronulla are going to have a real tough time of it but they are at home and they've got a lot of people that are right behind them. A lot of spirit that's there. Potentially, they'll come out with something that's uh, that's a bit different, but they're very gritty as well, and they they're very deserving of, of of getting the biscuits this time.
0: Yeah, so if they're playing in any other field besides uh, Olympic Park, ANZ Stadium, I would actually go and back the Sharks. But uh, I think it's been proven that uh, that ground gets very slippy when it gets uh, you know later in the day, and uh, Melbourne just grind out victories. They play in the wet a lot more, of course, being from Melbourne, so uh, they've got a natural advantage there. And I think, you no, know, if those conditions continue what we've seen in the past at that time of the day. Uh, I think they might just be able to go and grind out a victory. But I'd love to see the Sharkies win, uh, but uh, I just don't think it suits them playing against Melbourne storm on that particular ground. So you have been listening to the Devils in Details podcast from Business Insider Australia, which is produced by Josh Nicholas. You can find us on iTunes where you can rate the show. I guess this week have been Richard Grace, Chief Currency and Interest Rate Strategist and Head of International Economics at the Commonwealth Bank and James Wheeling, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Thank you both for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks very much, David.
0: And to our listeners, enjoy your long weekend. Particularly, it's going to be a long weekend in many parts of the, uh, Australia. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that and uh, go the Swans.
2: This podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's ozpost.com.au slash podcast.